0: Keywords in Play. You are listening to Keywords in Play, an interview series about game research supported by Critical Distance and the Digital Games Research Association. As a joint venture, Keywords in Play expands Critical Distance's commitment to innovative writing and research about games while using a conversational style to bring new and diverse scholarship to a wider audience. Alicia Serrada, thank you for coming on Keywords in Play. Can you please introduce yourself in your own words?
1: So, yes, I'm Alicia Serada, and I am a PhD candidate at the University of Vasa in Finland. I've recently completed most of my courses so I can call myself a candidate and a researcher. And I write a dissertation on NFTs in games, which means the dissertation basically writes itself because there is a lot of drama and a lot of data and I just combine the drama and the data into one dissertation. This leaves a bit of free time for me, uh, which I spend writing about the things that actually interest me, such as horror, deception in media, exploitation, game economies, and so on. This paper that we are discussing today is a very rare occasion of me writing about myself, so to say, or my own experience of growing up in Belarus. That was a lot
0: the study that we're talking about focuses on what you characterize as the first Belarusian political game. Uh, It's called Minsk Band. Am I saying that correctly?
1: Minsk, yes. Minsk is the true name of the city Minsk and Minsk is its current colonial name, yes.
0: Gotcha. I noticed reading it that uh, many studies of a single game would make use of just one method, um, such as textual analysis or player surveys or something like that. But you uh, combine three different approaches in your study. What frameworks did you use, and can you tell us about why you went with this design?
1: Well, the answer is very simple. This is my most rejected paper, and I've been writing it for probably four or five years, and uh, every time it got rejected, it was because of bad methodology. And every time I was, okay, uh, let me try another methodology, and it never worked. Eventually, when I uh, entered the PhD program at the University of Vasa, I'm taking the courses now with the business studies students. And business studies are the most vicious. The competition is unimaginable. Those people work real, real hard to get published with a much higher rejection rate. So if you need advice on how to make your methodology believable, I recommend you ask business studies people. So we had this seminar on case studies and then I finally, I found the way to defend myself, so to say, because we had this option uh, for a case study when a bigger case study is combined of smaller case studies and this can be the single case studied by different methods and there is uh, already literature on that. So I was able to put that all into my introduction and look credible but yes uh, another reason is that i was just not that good at research five years ago so yeah i needed to walk this way
0: so this has been like a, a long uh standing project it's like kind of ways, it's like being part of your maturation as a researcher right
1: yeah kind of This was my independent project. No one helped me with anything in academical terms. There was no supervisor. There was no relevant school to help me. I was doing it out of spite, I guess. And uh, it started with an abstract for a conference where I, I did not even want to go. I just thought I should probably go and hang out with other people whom I know who study Belarus and Belarusian issues. And I was never into that. I never wanted to study myself and my identity so i made this small abstract five years ago and then i realized that it is very important actually to talk about yourself and uh, not probably yourself as a person but about this incredibly uh, complicated uh, path of cultural development uh and uh, that's that's what kept me doing it despite of all rejections like I got literally like the worst rejection that I've ever got it was like it could be a good paper if it was a different paper so yeah now it is a different paper and it is good I met the requirements and I encourage everyone to be like me sometimes
0: I think like many researchers have have had that sort of rejection, but you've definitely kind of, I mean, one of the things about this is that that time to which you've been doing this research has also corresponded with huge transformations in the part of the world that you're talking about and the context in which this game was originally made. And so you're kind of like almost writing these, complex currents in the research that you've published. And we should say it's in the journal studies in Eastern European cinema.
1: Yes, with another great papers from the people who actually inspired me to walk all this way. So if you check the whole journal, there are excellent papers on Polish games, Czechoslovakian games. It's an amazing issue. I'm so proud to be in it. And I would say that this paper that I did, it was very much inspired by the work of Jaroslav Šviel, who is also in this journal. And uh, he did a lot for people like me from the wrong side of the uh, Schengen border to gain confidence and be recognized as game studies scholars, because this was very important. I have no school to rely on. Uh, if there are game studies they were before the war. If there were game studies before the war in Belarus or Russia, it is because of all the conferences and events and uh, seminars and educational opportunities and publications that were very much inspired by the group of scholars around Jaroslav Švelk and Jaroslav Švelk himself.
0: Yeah, and you you mentioned people like Mario Garda, and um, you know, as well, who have been in this, telling these sorts of stories, and bring this research to people like myself who are in other parts of the world, hugely appreciated and to tell some of that story, which is part of what you have to do in this paper about Mink's band. Obviously, the band here refers to a band, right? So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the time period when the game's development occurred and the cultural and political context in which the game was created.
1: Okay, so uh, those are my formative years, of course. And uh, speaking about, like, I would like to correct you in one important thing. There was no time in the history of Belarus or whatever land it was before it has been called Belarus. And the people who live there, there have been no time of peace and tranquility and just normal development, normal cultural development. There have always been wars and, uh, how to say, uh, colonial attempts from either Russia or Poland at different times of history. There were no peaceful times. Of course, normally there was no war, like the active war. But the things were not great. And uh, I've been incredibly lucky to catch the four years of democracy. So in the last century (laughs) of the history of Belarus, and yes, Belarus (laughs) existed for more than a century in its current form as for now. So in this period, there were four years of democracy and these four years were also my late teenage years. And this is when this game was developed. And this is the cultural environment that I miss the most because as we all know, we live in absolutely terrible times and uh, especially Eastern Europe is basically, uh, we have, I would say that we have uh, regressed at least a century back in terms of progress, whatever you put into that word, not technological progress, but generally uh, social progress, I would say. So, uh, these four years of democracy where when you could actually express your political opinion. You could go in the streets and probably you won't be beaten by the police. This is something that people from Belarus who are abroad now, many of them, uh, most of my friends, they are absolutely shocked when they see that the police does not beat people in the streets if they have like an opinion, if they're like peacefully protesting against something. This is a major cultural shock. Because this is not what we are used to see. And this is not about 2020, which was the worst year. It was about the 25-year history before that. And uh, in writing this paper, I was trying to get back to the safe place, this good place where we had dreams, we had hopes, we had the future ahead of us, or we thought we did. And uh, this is also when this game was created by three students at a rather prestigious uh, college. Probably you should call it college because it accepted students who were 16, 17, 18. So they were two last years of your uh, middle school education. Then you would go to a university. And of course, if you got into that school, you would 100% go to the university because the school was, and it's still in the partnership with the university. They have the same teachers. They have pretty much the same study programs. I'm not sure how it is going now. It is probably bad, I've heard a lot of bad news and I couldn't really keep track of all bad news, so, yeah. However, 20 years ago, three friends made a game based on this (laughs) very classical roguelike game Angband and this small game went viral and it went viral before people even had access to the internet. This is the most amazing part of this story. I remember played this game when I was a teenager uh, at a, a classroom uh, at my school computer, which was absolutely archaic, but it could run games like roguelikes, like DOS games. It was an important part of me growing up. And the band in this... Uh, there is actually one more lens through which I was trying to analyze this game, and this was the lens of uh, fan studies. I did not go far with that. It is just one more failed attempt at writing this paper. But uh, so the band is NRM. It is called. N R M, and it is one of the oldest, the most respected rock bands in Belarus. It does not exist in its current state anymore. It kind of split up, probably ten years ago. But its leader and songwriter and singer Lavon Volsky, he is still active now. He is abroad. I think the last news from him was that he's staying in Belarus despite all the bad stuff he's staying and he's playing concerts for people with these uplifting messages and uh, and the most depressing thing is that he has been doing this since late 80s not even 90s it's he's been he started his rock career in the Soviet Union when it was even worse. So they also rode on this wave of national renaissance that was somewhat inspired by perestroika when you could finally play rock music and be an indie band, because before that you should be, like, in the union. You should be in the union, you should have a job. Uh, you, If you did not have a job, you would be forced to get a job. Uh, and uh, it was, like, it was a different system and it was quite rigid. So they started their careers even then, back then. And they started with the songs about National Renaissance and also about the difficulties of it. And I'm not speaking about the difficulties of, like, replacing the uh, president (laughs) with a more democratic one, but the very intimate inner path of self-discovery. What does it mean for me personally to be a Belarusian? This is what I really like about it. This is not about nationalism as we are better than everybody else. This is about who you are, what is your place in this world. And if you are a Belarusian living in the country that is called Belarus and you have all this culture and history and many other things that uh, you share with other people around you, so what does it mean for you? What does it mean for you on the personal level? And it was quite like they were doing it in the late 80s, in the early 90s. In the middle of 90s, they finally became very popular. They were no more an underground band. They were the band that teenagers, teenagers like me, loved. Uh, We were huge fans. We all wanted to go to their concert. I mean, I went, I went, but it was so long ago. And I remember it was like, I could not always get to their concert at the peak of their popularity because it was too expensive for me. I had no money. I could not always get in for free. Sometimes I could, but not always. So it was a very important part, and the songs were basically the song of our generation. So uh, now we are coming back to these students who later became computer engineers, very smart people, incredibly smart people, who were like 16, 17 back then, and they just... Tried themselves in making games back then when it was not at all a very popular occupation. This was just an experiment, a part of the education, because we had these computers at our college and we could do whatever we wanted with them. For people like me who were not coming from a wealthy background, this was the only computer that I could use. And I'm writing about this, uh, about it in this paper, because these were the shared commons that we kind of inherited from the Soviet times.
0: We will come back to that contextualization that you do, which is very interesting. But, you know, the, the choice of this particular singer, if I get it right, they're kind of the inspiration for the player character of this roguelike game. So obviously the three people you're talking about who made this game were referencing that for some of the reasons that you're talking about. It's very interesting the way that you analyze the semiotics of this game and how they encode contemporary Belarusian politics and culture. You also describe as an ironic standpoint that is has taken a you know, use of humor which I know you've written about in another context.
1: Oh, yes. I'm now the humor studies scholar, kind of. Of course, I actually have a second paper that is on uh, the earliest uh, Russian adventure games, and I recommend it as well. It is a chapter in the volume uh, Games and Comedy, and, you know, this volume is amazing. Uh, So, yes, again, these were the times where it was not just about uh, the search of your identity. It was more about learning how to live in the world that was undergoing such drastic changes. There were people literally born in the USSR. I was born in the USSR. And then all the system, all the state system suddenly collapsed like one summer. It was not exactly overnight. It was more like one summer. Everything was different. Uh, There is quite a lot of literature on that. And when we look at this, early media from the 90s, both in Russia or in Belarus and maybe in Ukraine. I should do a paper about Ukraine. I just need a good co-author who would guide me. So uh, it was more about, okay, who am I, what I am doing here and how shall I proceed with my life? I am not prepared for this. This is not the mm, life that I've been prepared for and uh, the semiotics of this game. Mostly, I actually, I just describe it because it's, the analysis would be a political analysis. I I just touched the surface. I tried to do a more in-depth analysis and then I realized that this would turn this paper into a political studies paper. And it opens a lot of wormholes, a lot of uh, rabbit holes, all kinds of holes. This paper is a portal. For instance, uh, I describe different uh, villains, different enemies. So in Angband there are like dragons and orcs, and in Minsk uh, or Minskband, Band uh, there are two names for the game. Uh, there are gopniks. A uh, gopnik is a Russian word actually, and this is a street hooligan. So there's the whole categorization of different street hooligans that you may meet in the street of Minsk. I can say that yes, you could like you could meet all those people, people because like there is this teenage uh, gopnik, a sports fan. With a blue scarf uh, who just drinks a lot and is not really dangerous on the one side and on the other side there is this alt-right and or alt-left at the same time so it's a they looked like a militants they dressed like militants but the coolest thing about the 90s was that you could go in the streets to a peaceful protest and you would see all these people in the same peaceful protest together. Uh, Of course, they started fighting sometimes. It was kind of a sport, uh, like this radical right youth, they would beat uh, the Democrats and the Democrats, they would kind of also invade, for instance, radical left meetings, which also took place. So there was a lot of fighting going on in the streets, although it is uh, like... I, I look at it very in a very nostalgic way because what happened next is that nobody had just any opinion and there were nobody in the streets. So later, if tourists would come to Minsk, they would always say, "Oh my God, Minsk is such a beautiful city. You have such wide streets, and there is nobody just walking in the streets." That's the impression uh, in a very big city on very like clean streets, and this is the result of like. Suppressions, because every time the people would protest, the uh, militia would come and beat them. And this is also in the game. So there is also militia in the game and the police, and they just beat everyone. They don't have any logic. Gopniks have the logic. Gopniks have the semiotics of political and even some kind of political consciousness, uh, the uh, police just beats everyone that's in, in the rules of the game. And I find it very depressing that we see this in the game that is more than 20 years old and uh, everything was just like that. And very few things changed. The things that have changed have only changed to worse. This is not a game about orcs. This is the game about the people you meet when you go out and they're, they're just loitering. And uh, you need to get to the club. And uh, the name of the club is also telling this was the real club. And it used to be a very, like, it used to be a dance club for Gopniks. So people would come there to get very, very drunk on vodka and dance to very, very uh, simple music and uh, often fight. So if you wanted to fight, you would go there. But later it has changed. It actually became a rock and alternative club at some point in time later. So you need to get into the club, find the DJ and put your own album at this disco so people can hear your music and then the city will be yours. I just love this narrative. It has so many, (laughs) it has so many, uh, like, uh, it is so real (laughs) in some ways and also very surreal.
0: I get almost some vibes of, like, maybe a jet set radio or, like, a kind of, you know, youth rebellion like kind of vibe out of it where, you know, in the West, maybe it's projected onto some kind of sci-fi future. This is very much meshed in the contemporary, you know, realities, which is is super interesting as well. And, you know, you mentioned nostalgia before, and that's, you know, you you also conducted as part of this uh, paper some research on players and how they felt about it you know, down down the line. Can you uh, tell us a bit about, um, you know, what you found through talking to these, these players?
1: There is such thing as uh, Soviet nostalgia, and it is extremely problematic. This is the device that is used to reinstall dictatorships in Belarus and Russia, to a lesser extent in Belarus, because people are not really nostalgic about anything Soviet, not really, uh, for a number of reasons. And in Russia, it has been the main ideological vehicle of reinstalling the authoritarian and probably now the already totalitarian regime. So this is terrible. And this kind of nostalgia is used in yet another Belarusian game, which is World of Tanks. Now we are getting the sanitized version of World of Tanks, the biggest, the most popular game made in Belarus. The first version that made the company so successful, it was pretty much Stalinist. It appeared to the Soviet-Stalinist nostalgia of the Russian-speaking people all across the former Soviet Union. So they were the first core audience and also the leadership of World of Tanks. Sometimes they would also express pretty mm, controversial views and they even had an entertainment park named after Stalin, like literally there was the park called Stalin's Line where you could ride uh, actual tanks, partially sponsored by uh, Wargaming, the world of tanks. I think they rebranded it, but not so long ago, probably 10 years ago or less, but uh, this used to be like very bad kind of nostalgia. And this is unfortunately uh, like... If you ask people today about the most popular Belarusian game and one of the oldest as well, this would probably be World of Tanks. But this is not also not the ideology that I support, and this is not the future that I would support. I would still support more exploratory, even if not particularly smart, games about, like... Fighting gopniks and making people hear your, oh, like your rock music on uh, in the club. Coming back to nostalgia, I was unlucky with this paper in a number of ways, but there was one way that uh, like I won once. As you probably don't know, uh, sociological research in Belarus is basically banned and it has been banned for 15 or more years. So it was very strictly heavily regulated. You could not do sociological research in Belarus without asking the authorities and the authorities would only approve very certain things and they would also need to check with the results. It got worse, it got worse. Then like the the state of things in 2020 was that the results should also um, be in line with the state policies, the results of sociological research. At that time, uh, I caught that very short moment when the Belarusian game industry was expanding, but still it was like a one big community of friends friends of friends, people who knew each other, people f- mostly from my generation and a little bit younger, people who had very good quality engineering education from these remnants of the Soviet shared commons. And we had common interests. We played the same games probably. So, and uh, we had this uh, Skype group and I was I was in this Skype uh, group. I just posted it there and asked, hey, could you like do a little survey for me? And quite a lot of people agreed. I think it's like 70 uh, credible responses, which is already, this is already social sciences. If I've got 70 responses to a very obscure question, do you remember the game that you played 20 years ago? And uh, the people would be, yeah, we remember it, yes, it was a part of our childhood. Also, this is how I I was able to locate how the game spread, because I had first-hand experience with that. I was in the same school as its creators, and it naturally spread from that school. But yes, then I could see that, for instance, people who were at our university, they all knew the game. People who were not at our university, who were at a different Also very good university, the university that uh, prepared computers and IT specialists. So those people did not really remember the game, which means that not so many people had it on their public computers at the university. So I could prove scientifically that that's how it spread. And people were so happy and so eager, and they mostly said, ah, we are past that. But it was 2017, and the Belarusian game industry was very healthy. It was growing. It had a lot of companies. Like, there are many games that you play, especially mobile games and social games, and you don't even know that they come from Belarus. There used to be hundreds of companies, probably tens of thousands of uh, employees, and it was very easy to get a job at a game company. I got a job at a game company. Now people can't get anywhere, just anywhere. They have to work for free. And as I've mentioned earlier, I could not work for free. I needed a real job. And the only place where I was accepted was a game company because they were trying new things at some point of my life. I, I caught that wave and I collected these responses and people were like, oh, okay, yes, that was a good game. But no, it's probably not relevant. They would say in 2017... Unfortunately, it it only became more and more relevant since then. They would have absolutely different answers now, but also now you can't do just any research on anything Belarusian. So, and the industry is also falling apart because, yeah, everybody, everyone who could go and relocate to any other country, they did exactly that. Some people could not relocate to other countries, but you know that... Uh, Belarus can't do business with the West anymore because of the the war. And yeah, another controversial topic. But I know the people who stayed and they're still working. But also, uh, I would say that it has always been a little shady because of authoritarianism. People always did their business a little bit. Like, there have been always the channels to do the business in a way that the state would not, like, get you which it always it which it was always trying to do. So, yeah, these were the people who grew with games like Mensk Band and most of them grew with that rock band NRM and this is my generation, yes, and this is probably the most lost generation in the history of Belarus.
0: Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, it's really, like, fascinating paper and um, where can folks find out more about your work and what are you up to at the moment
1: oh i'm up to finishing my dissertation i have a year for that so i probably won't be publishing more fun papers but um, i'm on twitter i'm trying to publish open access i'm very lucky to be in finland because finland pays for open access in many cases so i think my best papers can be accessed at least as preprints or as full open access I'm on Google Scholar and all the academic networks. I am mostly known for my work, for my dissertation, NFTs and blockchain, but also if you need someone to introduce you to uh, Belarusian games and probably the Belarusian game industry or... uh, probably give you a little bit of an excursion into the history of Soviet and early post-Soviet games, then just, you can always ask me. I'm very open. I reply to all emails and messages and everything. So, yes.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Alessa.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It was great and fun to talk about something that is actually important, not like those, those blockchain and NFTs. <laughs> awesome.
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of keywords in play for more great ideas around games check out criticaldistance.com or take a dive into the digra archives at digra